Blog Talk Radio. And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru. Wednesday, September 1st, 2010. It's 7 p.m. Eastern, and I'm your host, Stu the Wine Guru, coming to you live from beautiful Coral Springs, Florida, as I always do. As you know, I'll take your calls anytime during the show at 1-646-381-4860 or email me your questions at info at stewthewineguru.com. You can also go into my chat room here on the show page and chat with other wine enthusiasts or tweet me any questions you like at stewthewineguru on Twitter and add hashtag or the pound sign STWG at the end of your question and I'll read them live on the show. I want to say thanks to all the listeners out there for getting the word out about my show. Welcome to all of you listening worldwide. I call that the power of the people meets the power of the Internet. Now, if you want to find out more about me, just Google Stu the Wine Guru. You can find the websites, videos, articles, and, and shows I'm currently a part of. Now, speaking of articles and reviews, I'm writing articles and reviews for Yahoo and the Examiner, so look for those as well. And look for my review of my guest's wines for the examiner and Yahoo within the month. Or go to examiner.com, put in student wine guru and find it there. I've also made a wine 101 video series that can be viewed on both YouTube or my website. So check those out. You're listening to student wine guru on blogtalkradio.com. I think you already knew that already, right? Yeah. Yes. Tonight, as always, when I have a guest, I'll be changing the format because I want to dedicate the full hour to him. I have a great guest on tonight for you. He is a legend in the wine world. He's one of the true pioneers of the organic and biodynamic wine movement of, out of Napa Valley. His name is John Williams, and his vineyard is Frogfleet, and he'll be with us shortly. Of course, the number to call in, one six four six three eight one. 4860, or if you're shy and you prefer the computer, email your questions for both John and I to info at stewthewineguru.com, or you can tweet your questions, as I mentioned earlier at the top of the show, to Stu the Wine Guru on Twitter, and add hashtag or 
the pound sign, STWG, at the end of your question, and I will read them live on the show. As always, I've opened the chat room for the listeners to go into and chat. You can also ask questions of John or myself, and I'll check into the chat room live periodically during the show to get answers for you. But first up, I have an announcement to make. I want to thank the listeners who are following me on Twitter. I've just become a Twitometrist. I'm enjoying the immediacy of the medium, I have to say. I, I like the ability to give updates in real time, and my guests are doing the same to promote the show. So thanks to Twitter and social media and everyone out there that's doing their part. I really think it's fantastic, and uh, I appreciate it as well. Also, for all of you wanting to know what events I'll be attending so you can meet me, October 1st, 2010, I'll be at the Molly Duker Tasting at Morton Steakhouse in Miami, and October 14th through the 17th, one of my favorite events that happens locally down here for me. I'll be at the Miami International Wine Fair, so come down there, meet me, have some wine, some food, check it out, see all the incredible winemakers. Uh, there's so much to do at the Miami Wine Fair that uh, that's really a great thing. So get a chance do that. So remember, if you have questions, I have answers, call me at 1-646-381-4860 or email me at info at stewthewineguru.com or get into the chat room and voice your opinion. You can get on Twitter and tweet your questions and I'll answer to them. So let me make sure before I bring my guest on that everyone listening knows John's website and can go there for more information about his great wines. So to learn more about John, go to www.frogsleep.com and find out where you can buy his wines locally or uh, in your town or buy them directly from Frogsleep. I mean, that's the beauty of the Internet. So without further wait, let's bring on my guest for the night, John Williams of Frogsleep Vineyard. John? Yes, Stu. How are you? Uh, welcome, John. I am fantastic tonight. I want to say, first of all, thank you for being on my show and discussing your great wines with us. It's truly an honor to have you here. Well, it's entirely my pleasure. Ah, okay. Um Many, many questions, so I'm going to get right to it. So you start out in the Finger Lakes region. Right? You go to Cornell University and study as a dairy man. Now, oddly enough, the Finger Lakes region makes good wine now, and they were not known for it then. So how do you go from Cornell to UC Davis? <laughs> well, the short answer is the Greyhound bus. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's my show for tonight. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, moving right along. <laughs> no, it's 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 a wonderful story. It's a wonderful story. <laughs> you know, I, I got to I, I grew up on my family's dairy farm. I went to Cornell really to learn how to milk cows better. But I got, I got interested in cheese, and actually, my degree from Cornell's in cheese making, not wine making, of all things. But. Uh, uh, when I was when I was at Cornell, I got interested in 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 grapes and in wine, and I got a job working over uh, 
for the Taylor Wine Company, making Lake Country Pink and Lake Country Red and uh, Lake Country uh, White, you know, and I'd never had a glass of wine in my life. So this seems like awesome opportunity, and uh, uh, so that's how I got my start. This is back in the early 70s. But then quite literally when I graduated from Cornell, of course, I'd heard about all the stuff that was going on out in uh, California, you know, this guy Robert Mondavi and Andre Chelschef and all the great wines that are coming there. So I literally got one of those uh, $69 bus passes where you can go anywhere in the country for 69 Don't ever do that, by the way, Stu. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. but I, I, five days later, I found myself in the Napa Valley uh, getting off the Greyhound bus with about 40 bucks in my pocket. This was 1975. Wow. <laughs> That's something I have to tell you. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that, really, John. Honestly. But, um, so, so, so let me ask you a question here. So, so in that case, I mean, this is going to it begs the question: Why not the valley and not the Finger Lakes? Well, you know, at that point, of course, there was really a, a controversy whether uh, wines made from vinifera, you know, Riesling and Chardonnay, whether they could even be grown there. There was this this guy, Dr. Constantine Frank, who argued that they could, but the rest of the industry and all the experts said that, uh, no, these grapes could not be grown there. And, uh, and uh, you know, of course, uh, you spend too many uh, winters in upstate New York, and uh, California sounds pretty good, too. But it was really the excitement about what was going on in California. Now, it's an interesting part of my life history that when I graduated from uh, uh, from Davis in 77, I actually went back to the Finger Lakes, and I started Glenora Wine Cellars, one of the three first of the new farm wineries, which now, is, yeah. of course, has been the uh, uh, the progenitors of the uh, of the very very fascinating and uh, interesting wine uh, revolution that's going on in the Finger Lakes that you refer to. I think it's very exciting. Some of the wines coming out of that area now. It is. In fact, there's some incredible wines coming out of there, uh, and people have talked. It's funny. Um, people have talked about it before. It used to be like, oh yeah, all right, yeah, upstate New York, because people don't really know if you don't come from New York, and I do. So I know where that is. Um, however, most of the rest of the world, <laughs> not yeah. familiar. That's well, no, no, that, that's absolutely right. And I think that, uh, you know, we, we're going to be hearing more about these. A big part of the problem, Stu, is that a lot of those wineries sell their wines right at the winery, and they don't get out into distribution. So they're hard to find in other parts of the world. So uh, um, I, I, they have, I think that the reputation will be growing over, over years to come. I agree a thousand percent on that one. So, so tell my listeners about your your stint at one of my favorite, one of my favorite, I say, cab makers, Spring Mountain Vineyards. Yeah, so uh, so that was the big opportunity I had after three years at uh, Glenora. Uh, I had an opportunity. Uh, well, first of all, I, I I got married to a woman who was from California, and she spent one winter in upstate New York. <laughs> it was either back to California or bye bye, <laughs> you know. And so, uh, I, and, and, and coincidentally with that, I got offered the winemaking position at Spring Mountain Vineyards, which uh, um, uh, uh, was a, a, an intriguing possibility and a chance to make and work with the great wines of the Napa Valley again. Now, you know, my my time out here prior to that, while I was going to school at Davis, I was so fortunate to work with. Uh, uh, I was the first employee of Stag's Leap Wine Cellars, and 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 worked with those great wines and the consulting winemaker there, Mr. Chelischeff. And so um, uh, I had gotten my taste of Napa Valley Cabernet Sauvignon. So for the op- uh, with an opportunity presented itself to go back uh, to Napa and work with a, a well-known estate uh, making great Cabernets and uh, and the like, I uh, I decided it was too good of an opportunity to pass up. Oh, absolutely! No, no, definitely not. Um, so I, I took the so head wine making job there in 1980. So three years at Glenora, then back to uh, 
back to California for good. And that's the right. That's literally the the year prior to starting Fox League, and that was the question. So, you know, it's a very big jump, and pardon the expression, it's a big leap. <laughs> it's a Fox <laughs> leap uh, to go from you know working at, for a vineyard and then starting your own. So, well, uh, you know, well, it's. It, it, it might put that leap in perspective to know that the first batch of Frog Leap was only five gallons, so it was not exactly the hugest production. Uh, we it was it's the the story goes actually it was, the Frog Leap started back when I was at uh, at Stag's Leap. I admit, you know, I was, uh, I was trying to beat the two dollar camping fee at the state park when I came out on the Greyhound bus, and I ran into this guy that had an abandoned farmhouse uh, that he rolled up the, on his motorcycle one morning. You know, I was camping on his property illegally and. Uh, and uh, we proceeded to uh, have a bottle of wine. It was about 7 o'clock in the morning, and then it turns out I knew his sister, Cornell, and he had another couple of bottles. We were on our third bottle of wine. We decided to start a winery together. Well, this this is a, you know, turn. Larry, and, and Larry had this old farm we started fixing up that it turned out to be a, a commercial frog-raising farm, which is where the frog comes from. But Larry had some friends nice. that had just started a winery, and they needed help bottling their first wine, and uh, so he got me a job with them. This was the Winyorskis. And so I became the first employee of Stag's Leap Wine Cellars. And we snitched just a few grapes that didn't fit into the hopper at Stag's Leap to make a five-gallon jug of wine back at the frog farm. Drank four of the five gallons uh, one night while it was still fizzing, and Frog's, Frog's Leap was born. So uh, that's that's how the whole... It, it, inter- interestingly enough, the, the wine I bottled, my very first day on the job, my job was to help bottle their, one of their first wines, and it was the 73 cab that won the Paris tasting. So uh, talk about oh, being fortunate. <laughs> oh, Wow, that is something. Because you want to know something? I have spoken to many uh, winemakers on my show, and not many have been able to say they were there or that wine was, you know, they were part of the wine. Oh, I'll, I'll remember the day it actually came out in Time Magazine. Uh, Warren came roaring down from his house in his little orange Datsun and said, uh, "You know, you're going. We might have more people coming in to buy wine because this story came out in the in the Time Magazine about this tasting over in Perry." We all kind of laughed it off until the car started lining up outside of the winery to buy, to buy this stuff, and I that's couldn't get it. my cellar work done. <laughs> that's amazing. That's a great story. And I, I take it, you know, some of that was uh, related in uh, in bottle shop, right? Well, you know, an uh, interesting uh, story, Stu, is that uh, Warren refused to cooperate with the producers of Bottle Shock, and so that's why you don't see any reference to uh, Stag's Leap, really, in that movie. It's all no, about the... It's all about the Chateau Madeleine and, and the Chardonnay. That uh, you're absolutely right. They they don't, and I guess what ha- I guess it makes sense that if they didn't get you know everybody on board, whoever they did get on board, which is obviously Chateau Madeleine, it was just like okay, we'll just go with that. No, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So it's a little bit of a skewed wow. version of of the of the history, yeah. to say the least. <laughs> right, so. Someone to create license. Exactly, exactly, yeah. <laughs> and the movies. So, so, okay, so now you started Frog Sleep. Right. And you know what? Actually, before I, before I continue, I'm going to stop right there. I have a call for you. I have someone calling in to ask you questions. So you mind taking a call? I hope it's not one of my relatives. <laughs> no, it's, it's someone from uh, from the producers of Bottle Shock. No, oh, hey. <laughs> Hold on one second. Here we go. Uh, let's see. Hi, caller. What is your name, and where are you calling from? Hi, this is Jennifer Masolo. Yes, I'm here. 
Hi, Jennifer. How are you? <laughs> Hi, I'm very well. Nice to meet you, Stu. Nice to meet you, John. Thank you so much for taking the call. I am. Absolutely. Uh, so calling from Jennifer? I'm calling from Miami, Florida. I'm the the executive director of the Miami International Wine Fair. Oh yeah. yes. Very very nice. Okay, so so we have some industry people calling in, John. A true professional. Yeah, <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey John, John, I've. I've Pardon me? No, I was going to ask, hey, John, are you going to the, to the wine fair? I believe it's uh, in October on the 14th. Well, Jennifer, Stu, at my age, I get, I get told where to go in the morning so I don't forget later in the day. So I, I'm, I'm not sure if that's on my, on my plan. <laughs> I'll, try it, I'll try and get it on your calendar. <laughs> yeah, please, please, Jennifer, let me know. <laughs> okay, no problem. So, Jennifer, so Jennifer, please ask your question, absolutely. John, I've been uh, such a fan of your dedication to the organic movement, and, and I hate to label it that way. I'm sure you see it in a far more natural way. Um, I have a few questions, but if I can only have one, I guess <laughs> I, would, I would want to ask how you, how you see the, the subject of labeling wine in the United States when it comes to the other side of things, uh, when it comes to the other side as opposed to Frogsley, um, the additives and the synthetics that are used in winemaking where they might not be uh, used in the field in organics or maybe they are, but then in the vinification process there are various things, uh, uh, synthetic yeasts and so on that are used. And yeah, yeah. Should they be put on a label? <laughs> well, you, 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 you really bring up an interesting point, Jennifer, and that's that uh, you know when, when you're uh, when you're uh, uh, organic or something like that, you know, doing the good thing, you're required to put all these warnings and labels and stuff on. <laughs> the, the people that do the crap don't have to put anything on their labels, you know. Uh, so the you know, irony, but this is the irony uh, of it is frustrating. Well, I, I understand, but you know, uh, what, do, what, what are we going to do, Jen? Start a, uh, start a revolution? You know, not that I'm, you know, I'm in for that. That's good, you know, but. Uh, uh, the, the attitude we take at Frog Sleep, now you've got to remember, we've been certified organic for 23 years. I mean, this is 10 years before anyone was even thinking about organic in the Napa Valley. Uh, so we, it, so we were not doing it for marketing or labeling and, th and in fact, organic has never appeared on a Frog Sleep label. I think we're, we, we, people yeah. appreciate that we do that, but we do it for one very, very simple reason, and that's that farming organically helps you make better wine. Absolutely. Critical to the way we farm our grapes, and that's been our position for 23 years: is that we farm organically to bring life back into our farming system, to bring life back in to our wines, to bring balance and harmony. And that should be the principle of any, you know. And so, you know, I try not to get caught up in all the politics of labeling and so on and so forth. But I think you make a really good point. It, it, it shouldn't be us good guys that have to label; it should be the bad guys, shouldn't it? <laughs> Thank you. Absolutely. You got and, it. Jen, real quick, before you, before you go, um, yes. just tell my listeners, I, it, I really appreciate it. It's nice having people call in from the industry. And, um, you know, I always want to give help out and, and give them a chance. Um, when is the, just so everybody knows when the Miami International Wine Fair is going to be. So if anyone that's listening worldwide is coming down to the South Florida area during that time, uh, they know they can, uh, you know, get tickets and, and stuff like that. So if we just take a moment and do that, that would be great. I would love to. Thank you, Stu. 
Our fair takes place on the 15th and 16th of October in Miami Beach at the Miami Beach Convention Center, and we welcome both the trade in the morning from 11 to 4 and the consumer from 4 to 7 p.m. We will have over 500 wineries, uh, 1,500 wines from all over the world, and it's going to be an excellent opportunity for people to taste uh, a lot of different wines and, you know, bump up their knowledge. Great, great. I really, really appreciate you calling in, Jen. Uh, you know you can call in any time. You're welcome on the show. And uh, I will definitely be going down there. I want everybody to know. I, I think I talked about it at the top of the show. So anyone that wants to meet up with me there, uh, I, I urge you to do so. And anyone coming into the South Florida area, if you're even near the South Florida area during that time, you definitely need to get there. All right. Thank Thanks you so much, much, Jen. Have a great evening. Have a nice evening, gentlemen. Thanks, Jen. Bye. Bye-bye. Be well. Getting back to my questions of the evening. Um, so, you know, here we do talk a little bit about organic winemaking. And, again, you don't, you don't have it on the labels, which is, I think, in my perspective, in looking at it, and I've worked on the retail end as well, uh, I think there's two trains of thought. I think there's the people that are extremely knowledgeable and up on things when it comes down to organics and uh, know what they're looking for, so they come in for it, and they already know that already, that you've done that, John. Um, however, then there's the other one that is, ooh, you know, I'm not quite sure about the taste of organic versus, you know, there's, <laughs> there might be something missing. So right. with that said, would you do me a favor and give just a little explanation on Organic Winemaking 101. So I think the people out there who are um, fearful unnecessarily uh, will know that they really, it's a great option. It doesn't have any, really doesn't have any impact <laughs> negatively, you know, uh, negatively on the, on the taste. Well, it's a, uh, obviously everything in life is a little more complicated than that, isn't it, Stu? But, you know, we have actually two categories of, of, of organic in this country, unlike the rest of the world. So if you see an organic wine, uh, from anywhere else in the world, it doesn't, uh, this law does not apply. But in our country, you have, you can be, uh, either, uh, organic wine, or you can be wine made from organically grown grapes. And the difference between the two is the addition in the winemaking process of, uh, sulfur, which is, of course, a natural product and allowed the rest of the world in the, and it's used as an antioxidant in wine and has been for centuries, really. Uh, and that's really the difference uh, in this country. If you do not, uh, if you use any sulfur in your winemaking process, then you can't technically be called an organic wine. Uh, you have to be wine made from organically grown grapes. And in 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 the real, and that's of interest to consumers because wine made without sulfur uh, is kind of uh, is a lot riskier and is probably behind uh, some of the at least the early bad reputation for organic wines because those wines did not hold up in the bottle. They would get brown. They would get uh, raisiny characters, et cetera. Uh, and so there, there's a big difference there. The, the truth of the matter is is that um, it, that's never been an issue for Frog's Leap because all we are trying to do with organic, the principle of organic farming is to bring health and life back into your soil. And this produces a naturally healthier plant that naturally resists, just like a human body that's, that eats a, a balanced diet and, and gets exercise and, and doesn't burn the candle on two ends. You do, you're not running off to the doctor for, 
for sodium edifications. And that's really what we try to do in organic farming is build fundamental health into the farming system. It's actually fairly easy to grow grapes uh, organically, just substituting organic, uh, organically approved chemicals instead of conventional right. chemicals. That is not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the true principle of organic farming, which is building fundamental soil health, which uh, reflects in, the, in, a, in a healthier grapevine, a, a more resistant grapevine, and ultimately, uh, we believe, a healthier and more connected wine. That's what we're all about. Absolutely. I was going to say, and, you know, there's just there's more of that synergy between the, the soil and the wine producer and uh, the farming techniques that are used. There's that synergistic relationship that everybody has, even with the animals that are, you know, uh, you know, it, it truly, is, truly, you know, and and, and this gets in, of course, into into biodynamic farming and and other aspects, which are very, very fascinating things. They 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 arouse a lot of uh, uh, of um, passions and suspicions and so on and so forth. But I think that they're they're fun places to go. I I'll tell you, a very another really critical part of farming organically for us is that. Uh, this uh, healthy soil does two things. It breaks down organic matter to make nutrients available to the plant in a very balanced way, a balanced diet, if you will. Uh, but it also builds soil structure to hold moisture because frogsleep farms, all of its vineyards without irrigation are all dry farm vineyards. And so organic is very important in our process of, uh, of building soils that hold water better so that we don't um, irrigate our grapevines. And that's probably more important to our wine quality than, than the organic itself. Integral. Critically integral. 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 Yeah, yeah. Um, I have some email questions here for you. So I, I mean, people, I had a, a ton of email questions of which I had to, John, you wouldn't want this job. I had to go through and sort through, literally, to find the questions that I was going to ask you tonight. And I promised everybody that, uh, you know, I'll make sure I get the answers if there are any other ones I need to get answers for. If I don't <laughs> answer tonight, everyone don't send me an email, hate mail, that I didn't ask John. You <laughs> and I didn't ask. So, but here we go. Okay, so this one is from Costas72 from Athens, Greece, and it says, Stu, your show is great. You get so much good information from your guests. When are you coming to Greece? Now, that's not the question for you. Uh, my question for John is, <laughs> my question for John is, do you think the world wine market is shrinking or expanding? Thank you. That's his question. Wow, well, that's a, that's a interesting question, and... and and, and the truth of the matter is I think it's doing a little bit of both uh, in the, you know, obviously uh, we now have, and you know this too, uh, the world is available to you there, particularly in, in, in Florida. I mean, you can get wines from even Greece, <laughs> you know, yeah. the wines from anywhere in the world. And, 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 and I think it's, you know, so look at what's entered into our market, the uh, Eastern European wines and, 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 and you know, wines. I mean, God, I had a Chenin Blanc from India the other day. It's just amazing, this a broad selection of wine. And so I think that the world is expanding in terms of its availability, and, and that's, a, that's a wonderful thing. I, I see that it's also contracting to a certain extent because there has been a tendency, in my opinion, and this is kind of my opinion only, Perhaps that um, that way too many of the wines in the world are starting to taste the same. You know, they're made to a formula, in other words, and so it's getting harder to tell uh, a Chateau Becheville from a Montrose. Say nothing about selling it away from a Cabernet Sauvignon from the Napa Valley. You know, there's been this drive towards higher alcohols and kind of this, uh, well, 
there's different words people use for it, but kind of this this global wine style where wines too much taste the same no matter where they're grown. And I really reject that as a model for wine. I like wines. If I if I'm trying a wine from a unique area or even a traditional area, I want it to taste like that place. I want it to have the character of that place. I want it to have a soul that derives from the people and the the place and the environment and the soils of that place. Absolutely. And to that extent, I think we're missing that a little bit. That that's contracting in the wine business. So even as we have more opportunities from other places in the world, I think our choices of wines that truly reflect terroir are are diminishing to a certain extent. And I don't think that's yeah. a cool trend. Yeah. You know, that was a long really answer to a little question, wasn't it? No, no, that was great. That was. I, I think, <laughs> I think, I'm, I think you're right on the money. I agree with you. In fact, I think it, it is expanding in the sense of, like you said, there's a lot more people in in the past 15. I'm going to say maybe 10 years that are making wine that weren't 10 years ago. You know, all around right. the world. Okay. Flip side of that is, and, and and to answer more a little bit more detailed as far as the shrinking part, is that you know you have places like Canada who make great wine, phenomenal wine, like uh, Okanagan, right? And right. they make great Pinot Noirs. The problem is they don't export them. They keep them in Canada. So in order for you to – now, I mean, there's a good good reason for that, and there's a bad reason. The good reason is, hey, come to Canada, try some great wines. bad thing is, hey, if I don't live in Canada, and I don't, but I want to try your wines, I can't outside of it. Um, right. So what I, what I guess what I'm getting at is is there's the you know people who who say I make great wines but I want to keep it within where I where I am. Okay. Right. Um, right. You know, this is, I think you're right on the money about about the terroir. You want it to taste like where you where you where you are. I mean because it, it, it makes no sense to travel. It makes no sense to go so listen. If I really want to get a good you know uh, Brunello or you know a, you know a good um, as you were talking before anything like a, a Bordeaux region or a Right. Um, a Pomerol, I have to go to that region to taste it, you know, right. and, and it should taste like that, you know. I don't want it to taste like uh, a Napa Valley, um, you know, blend. So I, I really think that, that that really says a lot about that, and that was a great question, I have to say. So I want to thank Costa72 from Athens, Greece, and I'm going to move on to the next question from Kim Croa from Prague, Czech Republic. And it says, My goodness, gee whiz. <laughs> My friend told me about your show and glad they did. My question for John is, did you always want to use organic wine practices? And thanks, uh, Kim Crow from, from Prague, Czech Republic, for your question. John? <laughs> well, again, um, we, we started getting interested in organics in uh, uh, 1988. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, and, and of course, I've now at this point gone to Cornell and to Davis. I've learned the correct way to grow grapes, you know, and, uh, and I actually bought my first vineyard in 87, and, uh, and even the old timers that had been there, the grapes looked okay. I, I knew he didn't know anything like I knew because I'd been to the university, and, and so I immediately hired this company to come in and analyze all the soil and the petioles to see what the nutrients of the, everything were, and, and sure enough, everything was wrong with this vineyard. It had, uh, you know, calcium deficiency and boron this and it needed nitrogen and so on. And I was extremely fortunate that the same company uh, uh, offered all the chemicals needed to to make the vineyard better. And so I started down this track, uh, and it was very obvious fairly soon that adding all these chemicals into the farming system wasn't getting me where I wanted to go. And uh, and you have to uh, you have to understand that the 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 no one was talking about organic. The only people I had heard of even considering organic was the Fetzer uh, winery up in 
in Hopland. So I called them up and said, hey, I hear you farm organically. Can I come up and see how you do it? And they said, yeah, come on up. We don't know what we're doing, though. we got this guy, Amigo Bob, that helps us uh, do, you know, and, and here. So I, I get to meet Amigo Bob, who's, who's right out of central casting. But here's this incredible character with the tie-dye shirt and Birkenstocks and long hair, talking about the health of the soil and about the the organic matter and about tilth and all these in the microbiome and I just it was huge it was huge it was life changing uh, day for me and uh, we literally the next day said okay we're going to make a commitment to this and uh, so in 1988 uh, we started the certification process and uh, in 1989 we became the first uh, vineyard in Napa to be certified organic and uh, I think it was probably 10 years later before anyone else um, and, and we were and we were still told by by extension agents and so on and so forth that it was impossible to do. Uh, so it's been with me a long time. It's really it's just a fairly small part of, of Frog's Leap, actually. Yeah, no, I, I think it's great. I have to tell you, I, I really do. And, and um, I, for me, by far, and I mean this when I say it, I, I think you do the best of everybody that I've tasted that's done it since you started. I think you do. I, do, I just really think you've got it down, and maybe it's just a matter of the fact that you had the time to learn and, 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 and get it right literally the first time because, you know, everything you put out there is just really right on the money as far as uh, taste-wise. And, you know, there's plenty of organic out there. I, I, I certainly wouldn't say there's plenty of regular wine, non-organic, and there's plenty of uh, organic wine that isn't that fantastic, just isn't that fantastic. So, um, you know, it's kudos to you and my hat's off because I think it's, uh, it's a great job that you do. I have a, um, another question here from... Clara Ita from Bogota, Colombia, and it says, uh, Stu, this is a wonderful show. I watched your Wine 101 video on Chilean wine, and it was good too. John is a great guest. Uh, these are people listening, right? This was amazing to me. These are people listening right now and emailing <laughs> questions to me as well. Um, how do you find winemaking in general has changed since you started making it years ago? So that was uh, Clara Ita from Bogota, Colombia, and that's her question. Yeah, well, <laughs> like you know, it, it's really it's it's a fabulous question, and 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 I think we've already touched upon it is that there's that there's been this global style of wine that uh, you know wine has become a lot about the winemaker instead of uh, instead about the, the the grapes themselves. I'm I'm still I guess too old to change, but I'm old school where I believe that wine should reflect the soil, the place the character of the place that you make the wines from, and that the, the winemaker should have relatively little, if any, influence on them. I mean, there's there's no word for winemaker in, in French, okay? The idea that you make the wine is, is completely foreign in traditional winemaking. And so there's been this divergence between what I consider to be traditional winemaking, which is all about uh, emphasizing the uniqueness of your fruit, uh, to this kind of modernist approach where it's about essentially the cult of the winemaker and what the winemaker can bring to the equation. And we've seen the tools, you know, the the 200% new oak and the micro-oxygenation and the spinning cone and the reverse osmosis and the mega purple and the genetically modified yeast and on and on and on and on, stuff I don't even know how to do uh, that's really become about, it's become about the winemaker. And I... You know, I, I, I guess I understand this to a certain extent, but it's not a trend that I'm that probably is is on a different path. Let's just put it that way. And I and, and, and I think it, I think it serves you well in that sense. So the next one is from Tim at Seven Springs Vineyard in London, UK. Uh, Tim has been on the show actually before. He has a vineyard actually in South Africa, um, 
and Seven Springs, I think they just literally started their first vintage of Sauvignon Blanc. So his question is, he says, we're a young, uh, young South African wine producer, uh, Seven Springs, and using minimal intervention techniques with our vines, but not quite organic because we do use herbicides, uh, fungicides, and insecticides. The question he has for you is, you've been farming responsibly, organically since 1982. What do you find are the main obstacles in going this route? And then he, he, wants you to, he wants you to know, he says, best wishes with frog sleep. I love your wacky website, and I will raise a glass of uh, frog and beer and uh, auslace. Oh, my goodness. He got a little frog and beer and auslace, huh? That's the rarest of all frog sleep wines. <laughs> there you go. So yeah. I just wanted to post that. Well, you know, it, 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 you know, quite honestly, you have to understand the Napa Valley. I mean, we were picking grapes today, by the way, with Sauvignon Blanc. So, uh, um, um, you know, I guess he's off-season down in South Africa. But, oh, I've been hearing about these English wines. It sounds uh, pretty interesting. I haven't tried any. I'm looking forward to doing that the next time I'm in, in the U.K. Uh, but um, we, we live in almost a perfect climate for um, uh, for growing grapes out here in, in Napa. And so the issues with respect to pests and mildews and so on and so forth, are uh, considerably reduced. And that's really one of the fundamentals of organic is don't try to grow bananas in Colorado, you know. Uh, and and so that's uh, that's a big part of it. So um, our issues have, have really not uh, – um, we, we just really haven't faced a lot of issues. Um, so um, – it, it's, I mean, like I say, we've been doing it for 23 years. So it's just, it's just part of what we do. It's, uh, and, you know, farming is farming. There's always, a, I mean, we had a new pest this year, the European grape moth. But almost inevitably, they find out the answers to controlling most of these insects uh, come from biological or natural controls as opposed to chemicals. Chemicals only create another problem of, of one sort or another. We've just gotten off that and track completely. You know, I, I was wanting to say that. That's something that people don't realize, that the chemicals do create other issues. Oh, uh, well, you know, it's like side effects in our own body. You know, you think, well, you're taking this, doctor gives you this medication, and great, you know, you fix one thing, but then you find out you got another, you know, and so you're on a slippery slope. Like those commercials you see for everything, you know, do you uh, do you find that when you breathe, you can hear yourself breathe? Do you find that you, when you think, sometimes your head hurts? Well, we have something, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> ask your doctor about, yeah. <laughs> well, ask your farm agent or ask your local, uh, you know, herbicide uh, specialty store. You know, it's the same thing. It really is the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. All right, so then um, here I have uh, another question for you, and, and that is um, – are there any upcoming events at the vineyard or news about your wines you would like you, know, you want to get out there to my listeners who are listening out there worldwide that want to know about hey, you know what is what's John up to what's the vineyard up to? Um, <laughs> you know, well, well, first of all, uh, yeah, follow us on Facebook uh, because there's always updated information on there. And then a, a little shout out to all of our our frog fellows uh, across the world. We have a a real special group of uh, of uh, uh, of people very closely associated with winery, we call the Fellowship of the Frog, and we will be having our, our um, membership event, the uh, Frogtoberfest, on October 16th, and it is going to be a real hoot. So, a shout out there to all frog fellows, and if you're interested in becoming a frog fellow, you should uh, get on the website and, and click on that and follow through. It is a blast uh, to be part of. Uh, it's the closest. Uh, you're, you're just become a family member when you become a frog fellow. So uh, that, of course, is not uh, not available everywhere. But uh, 
uh, because of shipping laws and so on. But uh, if it's available in your state, you really should check it out. It's a lot of fun. Absolutely. And Everyone, you just heard that. By all means, I, I, I'd like you to get onto that website, which, of course, www.frogsleep.com. Um, I think it, it, it'll also break out Facebook for you as well, or unless you just want to tell everybody your Facebook page. Um, uh, shit, I have no idea. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I'm making wine. You know, yeah, yeah exactly. Wine. I got I got to make wines too. I haven't got time for Facebook. But guys, okay. So, so you know, go on to the website www.frogsleep.com, and then you know, it's a, I've been on it a million times. I actually love it. it, it it's very interactive. It, you, you're extremely humorous. As, as if you haven't listened to the past 40 minutes, uh, you must be you must be deaf not to hear the humor and, and uh, you know the candor and, and, and the great uh, you know the great way you are about yourself. And, it, and I think it shines through when uh, on the website. I think that comes through your personality does, and it's nice. It's great. So there's a lot of fun things to do on the website. There's a lot of fun things and fun ways to learn about things. So definitely check that out. Um, okay, so moving on. I, I normally I'm going to say this to you, John, and, and I say this to all my guests, and this is if you've been listening to the 50 some odd shows I've done in the past 10 months, uh, I've never asked the same question twice on my guests ever. But recently. Uh, I decided to start a tradition because I thought this was a great tradition to find out from each one of the winemakers. And so I'm going to ask you this question. So are you ready? Oh, we'll, we'll, we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, it's not your PIN number. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, you, you can have any wine you want, okay? Mm. But tell me a wine you've either had that you thought was, after drinking it, it was the best you ever tasted or – a wine you want to try that you're seeking out. Either one is fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, as, as, as Stu, I, in my my uh, real uh, taste for wine developed uh, along the trend of, of European wines and, and, and certainly the great French wines and and so on. And so, you know, I, I, I go down to Kermit Lynch and I'll buy 10 cases of wine at a time. You know, great, great things from Beaujolais and small producers here and there. But it, but a large part of that is that I just I'm just not a fan of wines that are very high in alcohol and and and, and you know too many of my colleagues' wines around here start at 15% alcohol and I just I can't drink those wines I like to drink uh, you know I don't mind a buzz but I like to get a buzz on a bottle not a sip and and so I'm I'm um it's it's getting harder and harder to find wines that are that are you know even under 14% and I prefer you know under under 13% and so I drink a lot of Small producers from uh, Europe. I, I, uh, my, my daily, nightly sip would be, if not a bottle of Frog's Leap, uh, some Beaujolais or something like that. So, now in terms of great bottles, I've, I've had the opportunity to try some of the, of the great, great uh, Cabernets that have been produced in Napa. The, the great Inglenooks from the 40s and 50s and 60s that John Daniel made. Of course, the great BVs that Andre made. And quite honestly, some of the Stag's Leaps we made in the, in the early 70s were really, really extraordinary wines. And I want Napa to return to the tradition of these wines, 12.5%, alcohol, beautiful city, wines that age 30, 40, 50 years. And that's what we're dedicated to doing at, at Frog's Leap. But they are, these, these are wines that are no longer in favor. Uh, in, you know, the, the wines that are in favor now are the cult Cabernets that, like I say, start at very high alcohol with lots of oak and made in this more global style. But I'm, our, we're dedicated to getting back in touch with those great older Cabernets. So 
uh, you know, I just had a bottle of 59 Inglenook, uh, you know, made by my, who I, the man who I consider to be the greatest winemaker in Napa Valley history, John Daniel, at Inglenook, yeah. and uh, it was just an extraordinary bottle of wine. Let me just, let me just drink that every night. That'd be fine. <laughs> I, I imagine there aren't too many of those bottles left. No, no, there probably aren't. And, uh, and, uh, but boy, if you ever have a chance to try one that's been properly cellared, you, it will so open your eyes. Inglenook, yeah. Is that what it is? Yeah, oh, yeah. John Daniel, he he, uh, uh, he stopped making the wines in 1964. For any so any Inglenook prior to 1964 it will be a true revelation. Okay, so my so my question, so my I guess the answer to that would be you, it, one that you you tasted you think was like knocked your socks off would be the 59 Inglenook, correct? Yeah, I, well, I, I was fortunate to acquire a few of these bottles a couple years ago, and so I've been. Uh, uh, tasting through them, All but right. you know, how about a '64 Charbonneau from Inglenook? It was unbelievable. You know, <laughs> of oh, course, yeah. these are now. Let's be honest; these are wines that are not gen- not very available. But uh, you were you, no, no, you didn't you didn't put a restriction on this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, no, none whatsoever. That's why I said I, I actually made more of a statement than it was a question when I said you can have any wine you want. That was right. more of a statement than a, than a question. But it was I, that's why I was prefacing it by saying it that way because I figured, okay. I'm not going to put any restriction. You can go, you know, any from, you know, 1712 all the way up to your know, most recent. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. In between, you know? Well, and I make Cabernet in the Napa Valley, so my interest has got to be drawn to our history and tradition of great Cabernet Sauvignons that have been made in Absolutely. Napa. I, a, I, a tradition I that I think is is has been abandoned a little too much, and and so that I'm I'm very concerned about that. I, I agree with you, and I. But I mean, I still think you know. Obviously, there's there's still, still great, inclusive of your own. There's still some great Cabernet, and there's still some great wines to be had. I think, like you said, there was a a, a time. There has been a time, or a. Uh, I'll give it like a decade. I want to say a decade, the past decade or so, where there's kind of been that going away from, um, or a very fruit forward uh, in certain senses, um, super heavy bodied. Um, you know, uh, tannins that were pretty, you know, uh, you know, maybe in certain sense of light, light tannins. You know, just th- there was a tendency to go that route, and and like you said, there was a, a a a thing where everybody was starting to taste very similar to each other. Because I think instead of saying, "Let me be true to the winemaking myself," which I I know you do, there's people out there that do that, um, inclusive again of yourself. Uh, I you know I want to go solely by what I think. Everybody wants to drink, and so it's like uh, yeah, or or what's going to what a, what's going to achieve a, a high critical review, which we can't ignore the importance of right. that. Yeah. You, know what I, you know what I like it too. I'll tell you the, the best explanation of this is is this. This is what I've come up with literally just now as I'm speaking to you. I had an epiphany, John. Yeah, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, right here on the radio. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Um, well, what the epiphany was is this: in the '60s, and you'll be able to, and anyone that was around or remember, the the '60s had everybody. You know, someone would come out in the music business, and they'd be like a pop star, and you know, one label would come out with that pop star, and everybody would love that pop star, and then every other label would go, "Hey, let's find somebody like that pop star, and let's come out with sound something yeah, like yeah. that." Yeah, you know, yeah, I want yeah. somebody more like Elvis. I want somebody more like the Beatles. Can you sound yeah. more like the Beatles? You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah, yeah. that same concept that happened in the wine industry, 
and right. um, you know, uh, it becomes prolific, and you know, you go, uh, you know. Um, but anyway, on a, on a much better, lighter note, on that, uh, I guess what I wanted to ask: when you're not making wine, John, what are your hobbies? What do you like to do? What do you like to do when you're away from all of it, and you say, okay, here's my thing. This is what. This is my zen. <laughs> this is my my relaxation. What is it? Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, Stu, and maybe this will change eventually when I get out of debt. I, I tell them I'm a great success. I moved to the Napa Valley with 40 bucks. I am now $20 million in debt. So this, you have to understand, I'm not exactly turned the corner here yet. Uh, so, uh, you know, but I think it's, I think it's important to understand that uh, winemaking isn't a job for someone who does it at my level. It is a all-consuming passion. And so, you know, do I, do I have part of a life? Yes, I've got, I've got a beautiful wife. I've got kids. I've got. I, I love to cook and garden, and I, you know, uh, raise chickens and pigs. And so I've got my my world. But it, it really my world revolves around my vineyards and and winemaking, and and it's a huge part of what I do. Now, what's 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 a potential hobby for me? I, I I've started making um so I, you know I started making a little cheese on the side recently. So you know maybe there's room for something in my dotage here. But right now this is an all-consuming passion for me, and, and I don't feel unbalanced by that. You know I don't feel unbalanced. So I was going to say, all. Yeah. you know, listen, there are ways of finding kind of I guess the best way to put it is some sort of uh, extension of or augmentation of what you're doing, and, and, and really call it a hobby. So I get, I mean, you go back to your roots. You're a cheesemaker. You learn how to make cheese, you know, dairy farm yeah. and all that. Um, you know, yeah. it becomes more, it was maybe put to the side for all those years you were doing the winemaking. And now, you, you know, now you kind of bring it back a little bit in bits and pieces, so to speak, um, to, to use it as a hobby, to, to enjoy doing it as a hobby. It's relaxing, I take it, because when you're at a level where you're at uh, of making it, uh, you know, it, it, I think it becomes more along those lines of very relaxing, whereas if you're doing it for a living, it's not so relaxing, No. Well, yeah, and, 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 and I think that's right. And, 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 and when it becomes a job, then all of a sudden um, you're starting to lose it. So, this, uh, you know, it's, it's like the, the farmer that won the lottery, and they went and asked him what he was going to do with all the money. And he looked at him funny, and he says, well, I'm just going to keep farm on farming until it's all gone. <laughs> He he couldn't imagine it. He couldn't imagine anything else, and he knew right where the money was going to go. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, I, so I guess what I want to do, I, I think I've I've kind of covered that. Um, I went through a few things here. Um, yeah, I wanted to ask: was, was there anything you know that uh, any causes or anything like that that you that you feel passionate about that you, you want to tell anybody about or anything that you want? Well, to, well no, no, but we yeah. we touched on it, Stu, and that's what I think that as is. Wine, people who love wine, and it sounds like that's you've got a lot of fired up people that listen in on your on your uh, your blog and program and so on here. Uh, we we need a revolution, and we need to reclaim wine. We we need to bring wine back to what it truly should be, and that's this this deep and 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 important connection uh, to the soil, to terroir, to the individuality, to to making real wine again. 
and and uh, and I want I want to start a revolution because quite honestly, it's only going to be the consumers and the lovers of wine who can bring this back. Who who can say, look, I'm not going to I'm not going to judge wine by how many points it got in a in a magazine or a catalog. I'm going to I'm going to look to the producers. I'm going to look for people who are true and authentic and and are really dedicated to good farming and making wines that have character of place. And and let's bring those wines back. And and uh, I I'm. I, it's it's going to consume the rest of my life trying to uh, trying to do that even in my own little spot here in Rutherford in the Napa Valley. But you can count on that's what my family's going to be doing for at least a couple more generations to come. And let's celebrate that. Let's let's have a revolution in wine and get back to what real wine means instead of this kind of path that I think way too many people have gone on. Hey, I, I have to say, uh, not a religious guy per se, but amen to that. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, I was going to say, you know, I, the question actually I had next was, which you, I think you almost pretty much answered, was if you're you're a winemaker out there, you're out there listening to this show right now, okay, and you're a uh, new winemaker and you're somebody who's uh, you know trying to cut their chops uh, and cut their teeth on, on on making wine and getting involved with it. So your suggestion really would be, you know, get back to basics. Really, just you know, get in touch with the terroir. And, you know, know what you want to, to make. You know, really kind of think ahead of the, the, the game here. Know what you want to make and, and make it to the best of your ability, right? And then, and then yeah, I think, you know, instead of having to go pursue people so, so much, because you have to do it anyway to get involved with vineyards, you know, you do, you do a good job like that, and you, and you really get, you know, the, the connection between the terroir and the taste. That's just something that I talk about on the show a lot, terroir and taste, being able to make that connection that people – when they when they smell it and use all their all their uh, all their senses to enjoy the wine, that you come as close as possible to the, um, expressing the terroir through the taste, and that's well, and I think if you if you can get that down, right? Am I right on that one? Well, yeah, 100%. But let's not uh, we, we shouldn't kid ourselves. If you're a young winemaker out there cutting your chops, um, you know. Right now, you build cred by 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 high scores in the Wine Spectator and Robert Parker, and 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 really, if you're if you're going to dedicate yourself to the kind of winemaking I'm talking about, you're going to have to let go of those reins, and that's not an easy choice to make. And it, it it's going to take some um, it's going to take some real uh, real guts to make that decision. Um, if if you're a young winemaker out there that wants encouragement, email me John at frogleap.com. I'll I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll make you part of a circle of of people who dedicate this. But don't we, we we it's not as easy as just deciding to do that. I mean, there's a very very I think a great winemaker just lost his job because one of his wines didn't get a high enough rating in the last issue of of, of one of these uh, uh, critic uh, critical reviews. That right. that's not that's not cool. But that's what's that's no, the reality out there right now. Yeah, and I guess it's, you know I was trying. I guess I was getting more along the lines of follow your passion kind of. You well, know, no, um, truly, that's what it's all about, you know. But I, honestly, I think that this has got to be the future of wine because people out there uh, who love wine are looking for authentic wines, wines that are real, and and I think they're getting sick of these these cookie cutter wines. Um, at least they're still making in other countries that way. That's the thing. That's amazing to me. Is that you oh yeah. Other region. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Totally! Totally! Yeah! Italy, Australia, you know, France, Australia, you know, everywhere, even South Africa, you know, they're, you know, as 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 small of a region as it is, 
Um, they, they're really making some phenomenal wines in South Africa, and it's starting, they're starting to get uh, notoriety. And it's the same thing, like I said, there used to be a time where you'd drink uh, wines from Israel, and uh, you know they didn't have as much, um, again, notoriety, and there was a thought about it. And now they're making incredible wines, phenomenal wines, Italy, uh, I mean, uh, Israel, Greece, I mean, you know, all these different regions that before, um, you know, I guess people's tastes change and evolve. It has to. And it has to. And I think, I think that's what pushes. Unfortunately, it, it, it pushes from the outside in. And it, I, I wish it was able to push from the inside out. You know what I mean? Right, right. No, 100%. It was from the winemaker out as opposed to from the consumer Pushing in right. to their, their, you know, what well, we need all. We need all of us working together in the same yeah, direction, I think. I yeah. guess. Well, yeah. I, you know what? I, I really appreciate everything uh, that, you, that you've done, and, and I, I love your wines, and um, I want everybody to go out there. Again, go to www.frogsleep.com. Uh, check out his website. Check out his wines. You can go there if you want to find out where you can, as I mentioned, at the top of the show where you can buy it locally. Uh, in your own town, as well as, you know, the beauty of the Internet, buy it directly from, from you know, from John as well, from Frogsleep. So John needs have the money. <laughs> Absolutely. And you you yeah. heard him earlier. <laughs> He's not kidding. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, I, I, I want to thank you. I, I really want to thank you for, for being on the show. Um, and you are welcome any time. Uh, well, yeah, let's make up. Let's do this again sometime, Stu. This was a lot of fun to chat with you. The, the, the last few minutes have gone very quickly, and... Uh, I'm. Uh, I'd, I'd love to do that, and uh, and uh, feel free, all your listeners out there, to be in touch with me directly if they want, and uh, we'll 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 get together again sometime soon. Most definitely, most definitely, and uh, and um, I'm sure. I guess we'll, we'll get a chance to meet up at some point in time at one of the events that uh, your boss lets you go to. I guess. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> my boss, I guess, would be my wife. Other than that, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I kind of do what I want. <laughs> right now, I want to go help the crew clean up the uh, press because we just finished the uh, press of the Sauvignon Blanc. So I want to get back out to the crush pad. Go to it. I, I really appreciate. It. Thanks so much for having you on the show. And again, we'll, we'll talk soon, John. Okay. Thanks you so much, Stu, and uh, thanks to all your listeners. Thank you. Have a great evening. All right. Bye for now. Take care. All right. That was John Williams of the phenomenal Frogsleep Vineyard. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, if you want to um, find out more about him, go to www.frogsleep.com and check out all the uh, information about John, about the vineyard. I want to especially thank him for coming on and telling us about his amazing wines. As always, if you have any questions about the show, you can email them to info at stewthewineguru.com. You can go to my website as well at www.stewthewinegroup.com and click on the link for all of my wine articles, videos, and listen to archived wine talk shows with other guests that I've had on before. As I always say, if it's time to pour the wine, it's time for Stew the Wine Guru, so drink up, good night, and good wine. Take care, everybody. And now on Blog Talk Radio, you're listening to Wine Talk with Stu the Wine Guru.